Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Between the Sheets podcast. Thank you again for joining us. We're on the first and third Friday of every month here on the United Broadcasting Network, pound UPN Go. You want to call in tonight? It's 323-524-2599. What else? We're we're like every two weeks, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific. Follow me on Instagram, QTE Brett. And of course, like the Between the Sheets podcast Facebook page. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's not about the COVID test. My hair is getting long. Um, uh, it's Between the Shoes podcast on Facebook. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I love your comments. I love that you keep sharing things. I love that you're supporting us. And um, now that we're in a semi-lockdown again, um, uh, hey, you know, we got we got each other. And um, welcome, welcome to our world through a screen. So again, thank you so much for your support and for joining us. Um, I will go around the table if you're new to us. Um, this is... Uh, just a free-for-all. It's a shit show um, with some information. Um, but I'll go around and we have some rotating co-hosts. I will go to what I see as to my right is Mara Shane. Hi. What are you up to besides losing Hi. a lot of weight? Um, well, actually, it's funny you ask. Um, I had a column in this magazine 10 years ago that actually on one of the issues, Kathy was our guest. It was on one of the covers (laughs) and uh, the magazine was called bound. And I had an article uh, spread every month and there's a fiction story and I'm bringing it back. I'm actually turning it into a a book now. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited about that. We're excited for you. Thank Um, you. Yay, Mara. She's always one of the creative geniuses on the show. Oh, thanks. Um, and then we have another genius, but on a, on a different realm. We have Cheryl Murphy in the house. Hello, Hi. sisters. Hi, Hey, everyone. Cheryl. Hey, how are you tonight? I'm happy to be here, guys. I just want to tell you that I've been doing a lot of Facebook lately, and, and I'm loving the guests tonight, our, our guest, because I'm going to be raising money for suicide prevention in December, and I'm so excited to talk to her tonight and find out what she's all about, because I've been looking at your website, Kathy, and I just love everything you do. Oh, thanks. So, so excited about that. Yeah. And then we have from the Hollywood Times, a woman that I've known for way too many years that I want to admit because that would be aging us. But uh, my friend Valerie Milano is joining us this evening. Yay. Hey, good evening, everybody. I'm so excited to be back again. It's been a few weeks and uh, I just am happy to see everybody, even though it's virtual and just count the days when this is over. But at least we got each other virtually and on the phone and, and just love y'all gal. So let's have a good show. Glad you're here, sweetheart. And then, of course, um, Jenny McNulty. Um, she she can tell you what she does. Pandemic password. Um, she's everywhere and anywhere, and she's hysterically funny. And so, if you don't know who she is, find her on Facebook. Um, and she has a history with our guest Kathy DeBuono, which we will talk about later. But so, what else? What have you been up to, Miss McNulty? Um, well, I, uh, today Jackie Monahan, Renee Santos, and I were on a game show and we're not allowed to say what happened, but it was fun. <laughs> like a real Damn. game show that's going to be televised? Yeah, we, yeah. I don't know if we're allowed to say what one it was, but we were don't on it. And, don't say it. Yeah. Anyway, and what? if it, was it a pilot or is it? No, it, it, it's a game show that's on already. 
and the engineer. Oh, okay. Because it would be really even better if it was a pilot and you were one of the comedian people and you could get a gig for, I don't know, every day. That would be much better. <laughs> so let's put that out in the universe that they Thank love you. you so much right. that they do a spinoff with I you. I love it. I love it. In the meantime, you can see me on Facebook Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 1 p.m. <laughs> and then we have Cara Noble. Um, she comes from England, as you probably know. She talks funny. Um, but <laughs> but uh, we love it. Um, she is the mosaic queen. Um, and so Cara, and she also does voiceovers. So Cara, Cara, what have you been up to in the past two weeks? Anything spectacular? Well, um, I have put my Christmas tree up. I don't care about convention. Yay! It's pretty shitty right now, stuck at home. So I have my beautiful tree up and it's divine. So I'm very happy to have it. It's so beautiful to have. But I was on a game show once when I was a singing telegram, dressed in my singing telegram gear on a game show. You just reminded me. I wish I could find it. It's gone long gone. That's funny. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, you know, I, I pulled up my guest IMDb. I mean, I, not IMDb, Wikipedia. Um, and I'm reading through it. And did you, first of all, I don't know where to start because she does. She has a day job and a side job, and she's just um, everywhere. I mean, she's like really smart, so she's an M A M F T, okay? Um, which is like I don't know. Like we'll talk psychotherapy, Kathy Dubuano, M A M F T. I love all these letters, man. Um, and so we'll go into that trauma focused therapy. I'm giving you her day job um, and forensic services, which. I find probably the most fascinating me too, me as too. to what um, you do with your education and your craft. Um, but looking at the damn Wikipedia thing, do you know- <laughs> Apparently you printed the entire Wikipedia. What the- <laughs> I print everything, I print everything. I know, I, I'm gonna save papers. I mean, save trees, okay. save papers. Um, I went to AADA too, by the way. She's oh, an actress as well. I went to AADA in New York. Um, and right. so we're kind of like, well, she's obviously pursued acting. I have not and been successful at it. Um, what's the, what's a, what, tell us what that American is. American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Oh, I see. Uh, acting school. Um, you were in Star Trek D Space Nine, right? Um, huh? for Terry Farrell, who I worked with for many years on Becker. Um, I worked she, on Becker too. I know you did. Yeah, I know, it was my show. The, I, I was all the photos. Anything that was photographic came from me in my office and my, my team. The Pretender, Pacific Blue, Martial Law, I worked on that one too. Um, X's and O's. You're a lesbian, shocking everybody. <laughs> you appeared in the short film, Gay Propaganda, the award-winning Out at the Wedding, the romantic comedy, and then came Lola, and the short drama, Tremble and Spark. Um, so, but what, you had the, okay, Kathy, you're in the Kathy DeBueno show, giving advice to call-in listeners on LA Talk Radio, Transformational Radio, blah, 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 blah. Are you still, are you with anybody right now? You mean I'm on, on the radio right now? No, a relationship. Oh, a relationship. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm single. Okay, good that I didn't read this last part in Wikipedia then. Um, but I, That's whatever I, it is. But I do find in Wikipedia, and I don't know if anyone gives a shit, but all the other lesbian shows you were on are not listed. 
are not listed. Oh. Well, who's, whose job is Wikipedia? I don't know if that's a, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, I could have looked IMDb, but I was like, Wikipedia, it'll give me somewhat of a bio, which as we know is now fucked up, outdated and wrong. I and thought you were gonna say, give us some of a bias, which is what Wikipedia does. No. I didn't trust Wikipedia. No, me either. And homophobic, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> so okay, Kathy, thank you for joining us. I had met Kathy, God, when, oh God, was it an Eve Reynolds party? It could have been an Eve Reynolds party. And we were on the patio and I was talking to you and we, I'm like, anytime I find an Italian lesbian anywhere, it's family. <laughs> um, but she's one of the tallest oh, lesbians, I've, Italian lesbians I've met in a long time. I, I, I mean, look at me, I'm five one. Um, but we just talked and bonded and she's very funny. And then out comes strolling our friend, Jenny McNulty. And <laughs> Jenny McNulty is like, talking to her and she's like, yeah, and she has to be on the podcast as Jenny McNulty usually does when she <laughs> finds someone that she thinks it would be great. And then she said, we had a podcast together. We did, we did. And so my then- show was, uh, Kathy is in. It was sort of a, you know, many years ago, I did a video blog called What's Your Problem? That was on After Ellen. And um, it was, you know, it, it, it was kind of a spinoff of the fact that I'm an actor, but I'm also a psychotherapist. So we had people write in and I would have someone on, you know, much like I'm sitting now, it's on the floor in my living room with a guest and we would answer the letter and give advice and it would be, you know, it would be fun. And then after that, I did sort of a spinoff of it into a radio show slash podcast called Kathy is in and Jenny was my co-host. And how many years did we do that, Jenny? I don't know. I think two or three, something like that. And yeah. you know, we never really officially ended it. I started making a documentary and that rabbit hole got, take a few weeks off. <laughs> that got pretty deep and I was just like, hey, look, we got to stop for a minute. And then we never, you know, I'm actually still down that rabbit hole. So what well, happens? I mean, I started this podcast in 2009. It's had three incarnate, two incarnations. And the last one, I'm like, we're just going on a hiatus for a few weeks. My father had passed. I just wanted to get. And then <clears throat> three years later, uh, <laughs> I started it up again. It's like, oh my God. Um, but so let's start with where, like uh, the basic stuff. Some people know about you, some people don't. Um, you're an East Coast gal, I'm going to guess. Yep, I'm from New York. I've, I grew up in New York, born and raised. And then I, um, I went to the University of Kentucky of all places because I was a volleyball player. And so that was a top five division one school. I played for them, you know, talk about fish out of water. That was my first experience of the girl who grew up just outside the Bronx <laughs> going to college in Lexington, Kentucky. I remember getting there and talking to my teammates, you know, cause I was on the volleyball team. And I was like, well, someone said something about downtown. I was like, oh, where, where is it? And they pointed over there. There were two tall buildings in the distance. <laughs> I was like, oh. Kentucky. <laughs> moved back to New York, when, and that's when I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in, in, New, in uh, New York, graduated from there. And then I um, got my license to do medical massage therapy because my plan was to come to LA and pursue an acting career, and I didn't want to wait tables anymore. So I did massage for a while. Nice. Yeah. And then along the way, you know, if you think about it, and you went to acting school, yeah, or anybody else here who's been an actor or gone to acting school or or anything like that, the study of acting and characters and story arcs and all of that is so, so closely related to the study of psychology. I mean, it is the study of psychology. It's just using two different languages, really. Actors use one set of words, 
therapists use another set of words, but it really is so related. And um, I mean, that's how I ended up doing both. Guess what my major in college was? Psychology. Psychology. Because I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to be an actress and psychologist. (laughs) So there you go. You wanted to be me. Let me tell you. Exactly. I mean, I could only aspire (laughs) to want to be you now. I had no idea we were traveling parallel lines. (laughs) Uh, You know, this is what it looks like when you're when you're grow up as ADHD as I am. Me too. Me too. Me too. You know, what are you? A therapist, an actor, an investigator, and you know all of these things and they're also closely related um and when you're this adhd you can't help yourself but to follow your interests right you're so mm-hmm. curious you got to go that way exactly i mean people have a problem with me do they have a problem i mean anybody else who's adhd on this call i mean on this by this podcast mara i figured um jenny <laughs> you do yeah see i mean jenny. i figure we're we are we are that bunch of people that are often misunderstood it's like, I, I do like, but people like my brain and I'm sure you guys do because we're all over the place. And at least for me, I can, I could process very quickly. And I, I, and, and, you know, when, and I get frustrated with people that aren't following my train of thought, but <laughs> half of my train of thought is still in my head. You know, so it's like, what do you mean you don't understand? But, and then I get pissed off. Like, I just said it. And they're like, uh, no, you went from A to C, B was missing. Could you please break it down? Like, it's so slow, man. But it yeah. is true. I mean, I think people with ADHD, and I am one, so I can speak of it, even though I'm not clinically, you know, I can't say anything about it, but it is, I wouldn't want to be anything but. You know I, what I, really I was going to say to you, it's kind of, I wonder I wonder if the other women in here who, who are ADHD agree, it's kind of a double-edged sword because- there's something about it that I wouldn't change um, because it's delicious in some way. You know, there's so many interests and so many things you want to do. And then in another way, it's the bane of my existence. Yeah. I'm constantly, constantly trying to find ways to organize myself. Yep. I make lists upon lists upon lists and I never look at them. You know why? Because I don't know where they are. <laughs> right. I forgot at least you I make them. them. <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere. True. They're everywhere. Oh, I always make them put make to-do list right at the top so you have something to cross off right away. <laughs> I did my photo shoots. I mean, in the beginning, I would do my photo shoots, but I had all the shot lists in my head. Okay, but the day of the shoot, I had to write it down, not necessarily because I was going to forget, but it was such accomplishment to take that Sharpie and just cross it out every time we went it was i don't know why but it was it was like oh this is awesome why we did that and it is a sign it was a sign of like okay i could do it because i think i needed to even though i was focused and had it here by having it in writing it kept me focused does that make any sense mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it does yeah if you can i can't believe you guys write it down i can't even get you know focused enough to write down half the stuff that goes through my head every minute <laughs> That's a well, I'm the kind of person that you just get, you know, I organize you kind of people, you ADHD yes. people. Oh. I not only am a reporter, a journalist, and on the red carpet when we have them, but I love to organize. So, and keep everything straight and my files and... That's what I look forward to every day. I love organize, it. but I will start in one room organizing and then carry something into the other room and then just start organizing in there for a while. And uh, yeah. Exactly. Eventually, I'll get back to the other one. I, I'm exactly like you. Kathy, you should have written on the top of your list, 
put this list on the wall with some tape. That should be number one. And then you go on from there. But well, that's not about that. for the tape. You forgot what the hell you were that's looking for the tape for and start doing something else. Just a quick, perfect example. And this is not old age. Um, I was, I, I came home, I was, I went out to run an errand. I came home. I set up everything on the computer ready for the show because I'm organized. And then I'm like, okay, I have to go now and, you know, put the makeup on and do the stuff. And I finished all that. I get back to the computer and I'm like, oh shit, I don't have my glasses on. Where are my glasses? 10 minutes to look for my glasses in panic because <laughs> I can't do the show without my glasses, which set me spinning going in my, going, where the hell is that spare pair? And then I went into the bathroom and I'm like, it has to be here. But then I thought, did I come in the back? And then I went in the kitchen and it was right on the counter because I was reading something before I remembered I had, it was time to go in the bathroom to put on the makeup. The it's fact just, that you can even remember all the details. Yeah. I'm so glad. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, I find myself, it's like, I have a little OCD too with certain things. And I don't know if it's a companion piece um, to ADHD, but like for me, like time, like I have to be on time. And if I'm not on time, then it kicks up my ADHD and I kind of get a little panicky. Yeah. Even though no one gives a shit if I'm five minutes late. And I texted <laughs> them and I said, I'm gonna, and they're like, fine, no problem, take your time. But it's this thing in my own personality that even though I hear that, it just doesn't click off. It no, maybe no. there's something that like when you start, I know this is true for me when I, I get, I feel the same way when I'm running late, it, it just gets me so anxious because I feel like it's the start, it's the beginning of the unraveling of the disorganization. Like if I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna freaking catch up again. I'm gonna be so frazzled. And it's really just about trying to avoid that. Avoid yeah, and how are you guys organizing? I mean, like, I know we pop from here to there, but like literally like a, ta like a task. Like for example, I mean, I have to, I have like uh, 17 shows that I'm, that I'm overseeing photography on. And they're not all crazy all at once, right? But it's like, I can deal with deadlines, but then there's like just one, like the last one, whatever it is, that's, that, that sort of sets me frazzled. That'll frazzle me. I could be all good with seven. I get an eight. And all of a sudden <laughs> I got to like shut my door in my office. Well, when I had an office, I would shut my door and then just sit there and sort of hyperventilate for two seconds until I sort of really had to like calm down, look at the shit and go, okay, all right, let's do this, this, and this, this is not that important. And then I'm like rearranging in my fucking head, like prioritizing yeah. and it always works out, but it's still, or going, or like leaving for the weekend and coming into the office and having 110 emails and not knowing where to start. I don't know, just saying. Cosmopolitan <laughs> Magazine, Cosmo says, that when you have too much to do, you should just stop and do nothing. I like exactly. That. Go get a cup of coffee. Go yeah. outside. Just do don't deal with opposite. it. Do but, the opposite. But, but, but everybody here, is everybody's, does everybody's mind work OT? Like What does that mean? Overtime. Like, oh. if, even if you're calm and there's really nothing and you're enjoying yourself, whatever, do you, does your mind start like, really, is it still processing other shit instead of being in the moment? I stress I should say. Yes, it is. Cogitating. Oh. 
You know, Maybe I shouldn't be on the show. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite frankly, I don't. I think you and Cheryl are probably the only ones that should be. We are balancing us on yeah. the show. Otherwise, this could be, like I said earlier, a shit show as it sometimes is. Now you guys understand why. <laughs> Valerie, I need to see your tits. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's because 2020 sucks. Day drinking together. Oh, yes, no. it does, baby. Nice yeah. one. Yeah, I know. I found myself drinking more than I should. But what else is new? So Kathy, so you wanted to be an, um, you did volleyball. Then did you want to be an act? You wanted to be an actor first. So that was your first passion, your first love. When right. did you, when did you get the acting bug? You know, I was a little kid when I got the acting bug, but there are pictures of me that my older sister took of me just being characters around the house, like just for fun. Um, and I was a middle child. And so I was the consummate communicator in my house and in my family, you know, the mediator and peacemaker. And my mom used to call me F. Lee Bailey because I was always <laughs> like, you know, pleading everybody's case and trying to help them understand each other and, and stuff like that. And so I think I, I, at a very young age, I just found understanding people, people um, fascinating. And it started like within the confines of my own family where I felt like I could see maybe my sister and my mom missing each other, but I felt like I understood the two of them and I would jump in and try to help them, you know, see each other. And I think it came from my, just my, my automatic instinct of wanting to know what someone's motivating factor was for something they say or something they do. And it all, you know, it all, it all goes down the same pipe. If you think about it, the acting and the psychotherapy and then um, investigating and learning psychopathy, you know, becoming, um, learning how to assess psychopathy or psychopaths is really like, if you think of personality disorders as a spectrum or understanding people and their motivating factors as a spectrum, psychopathy is like all the way at one end where most of us, most of us can't just kind of relate to that because they have a very different brain and they're very different motivating factors. And so it's like getting down to the nitty gritty down that rabbit hole of studying personalities. You finally hit that back wall where you're like, now I got to study psychopaths <laughs> because I've studied everybody else. All right. So here's the thing. What's the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath? Very good question. I will tell you for many years, those two words were interchangeable. Mm -hmm. And then for several more years, those two words had different meanings, depending on which clinical world you were in globally, you know, what country they would have slightly different meanings. Um, now they both mean the same thing. And the word sociopath is actually going to be clinically and like judicially just sort of um, faded out. Like it, it won't have a place anymore um, because psychopath pretty much covers it. And you've probably heard the term antisocial personality disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, after tons and tons of studying, what they find is that that's really kind of the same thing. And so antisocial personality disorder, psychopathy, it used to be that sociopaths, you can make the difference this way. If psychopaths don't have empathy and they will, you know, manipulate, stab anybody in the back, they have, they have no barrier, no, no bond to anybody. They'll stab their own mother in the back. A sociopath, you might think of as like the mob where they do have certain codes of honor for their own family or their own tribe, but they would go stab anybody else in the back. That's now no longer the case. That distinction no longer is, is really necessary. 
It's I know, if you're fucked up, you're, there's one category that you're fucked up. <laughs> you're it. You're I saw that with psych psychopaths are born that way and sociopaths learn it from an early age through neglect. Oh, or, I didn't know or, that. Well, but, I mean, I'm, way, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. Well, that's another way. Um, uh, when I said people had different understandings around the world, that was one of them. That was one of the understandings around that the world. That must be the English ex uh, the English definition. British. <laughs> you have biologically different brains, and it is predominantly believed that they are born and not made. However, um, like everything, nature and nurture go together. And so you can be a born psychopath and not necessarily go down the road of like, you know, serial killer or or horrible criminal life. You might just be like a raging narcissistic, that raging narcissistic asshole that works at the company or something. That's nonviolent. Yeah. And not all psychopaths are, are violent. They are just mm. ruthless. They are ruthless. So it's manipulative, controlling, ruthless, no empathy. No empathy. If you think about what compassion is, there's a precursor. It's empathy. And if you don't have the functioning, the function for empathy, you will never reach the function for compassion. You'll never feel it. And you can see how that influences people's behavior if they never feel about those things. Well, I just bought a gun. Um, don't cringe. <laughs> wow. Did nice you segue. <laughs> yeah, right. Caliber gun, Annie Oakley. That's a bit of a dangerous transition there, you know? Right. I wanted to make sure everyone. Well, what's the difference technically between a sociopath and a psychopath? And like, what one might have a gun? The reason why I state that is anyone who thinks I'm a sociopath or psychopath, I'm not because I don't fit that criteria. So I'm okay with the gun. Just saying. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Good to know. <laughs> well, I will say you don't have to be a sociopath or a psychopath to be dangerous with a gun. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm not dangerous with a gun. I, I bought it. You bought I, it. I, I wanted to. You know, I wanted. I've always wanted to. You know, not like you know, just like in confinement. I mean, it's so funny because I, I did the whole thing and the background check and stuff like that. And um, and it's it's still in the case locked. Like I am afraid to take it out, even to hold it, even though it doesn't have bullets in it, because I am not comfortable with what it. What kind of did you get? It's a Browning something something 22 caliber long something. All right, we'll go to the range together. I will show you how to oh. use it. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that's the coolest. You can't have a gun and not know how to use it. That's well, really- it's in the box <laughs> and, they're, and they're trying to sell me bullets. And I'm like, I just want target practice bullets. I, so I don't want the bullets. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the guy, no bullets. And they're saying, get him on the head with. Hold it right there, Mr. Robber. I'm going to assemble my gun right now. And then I'm going to put the bullets in it. You just hang on. You're, you're mine. <laughs> I have to say, I had the gun shop guys, because you know, you walk into a gun shop, there are certain gun shop people. They right? sold to 22. That's what they sell all the women, 22. Yeah. But I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, that's all you have? I, I said, I kind of want a nine millimeter. And they're like, no, 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 you should go with the 22. I said, okay. I said, but I don't like them. They're not, the ones that you're showing me aren't pretty. And I swear to God, they looked at me like I was crazy off of my ass. And then like, well, there's like none in purple and stuff. And they're like, explain, you could wrap it in customized if you want. I'm like, okay, that'd be awesome. And, but when I, but like I said, and then like I bought it and then like I had the bullets. So they gave me the, whatever bullets you need to shoot target thingies. And then he's like, but you should have a box of like the ones for self-defense. And I'm like, I don't want that in my house yet. I said, let me just learn how to shoot a gun and shoot yeah. that paper thing with the person's 
thing on it and then I'll be good because yes. look, I, look, you went into, um, I guess, law enforcement to some degree working with forensics and stuff. And, and I, I worked on all the CSIs. I, as we discussed, I find it fascinating. Um, I went into law. Um, I became a lawyer for a minute um, because <laughs> I loved that stuff. But it's like any every time I'm, I'm watching TV, it's either that sort of investigative reporting that like my roommate says, oh my God, do you ever watch anything that's not about like violence and death? And I'm like, but it's not about that. It's about the way the mind yeah. works, the psychology, the, how, the psychology behind yeah. it. And that is what fascinates me. And I think, you know, all of us with ADHD kind of are trying to do a full circle here. Um, <laughs> I think it is about, I think we're, I think we're some of the most, quite frankly, better communicators. I really do. I think we, you know, we do, we don't automatically shoot from the hip. I think we wait till we have all the facts and assess it and then make a determination of it. I mean, I can only imagine that we do because that's what I do. So just from the box. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Right, 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 Jenny, right. So Cheryl, I know, um, well, hold on, let me do one transition. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to let it yeah, open yeah. to Cheryl because I know Cheryl has some information. So you started the, you started the psychotherapy practice. How did you, how did you get into the forensic area? How did you make that transition as opposed to having someone come in and sit there and, and help them through whatever their, their day issues are? It happened when I started making the documentary. First, I've always been interested in it. You know, like many of us, you have that person in the family that just is fascinated by serial killers and reads every book, right? And, you know, that was me. So I've always been that person. Um, and I have a cousin who really is that is person. Serial killer? Very close. No, nope, not a serial oh, killer. Okay. <laughs> grew up like, just like, you know, um, so, so curious about it. And then I started making this documentary. And um, what the documentary is about is I'm going, to, I'm going to try and say this so fast. In 1999, I met a guy who stalked me at the mall, tried to sell me a bunch of bullshit and, and tried to get me to go to an audition. I knew he was, he was full of crap. I didn't go. A few years later, a girl did go and he raped and murdered her. Oh. Um, I ended up being one of the women who testified against him at his trial. There was me and several other women. That was in 2003. So a very long time ago, 17 years ago, way before Me Too way before um, anybody was publicly talking about how women need to speak and women need to come forward, you know, way before this whole movement happened. And what I learned during that case was the only reason he's in prison right now is because the women came forward. There were five of us. They had no other, all the, the case was very strong circumstantial case. Everybody knew it was him, but the only way he got convicted was because five women came forward. There was no scientific evidence. And this is a man who, clearly had done it before. I knew when I met him that he was, and I was only 29 then, I hadn't become a therapist even yet, but I could tell this guy had done this before. Mm. So, His name wasn't Sonny Gibson, was it? No, no, Victor Paleologus. Oh, but, I think he's related to Sonny because um, I've shared this many times before. When I was 22, I went on, not an audition, but uh, an appointment and he was, and, um, it was a little odd to me, but I just wanted to get into the entertainment business. And, and I was naive to some degree. And no, he didn't kill me. Obviously, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. No, he didn't beat me. But did he rape me? Yes. Um, so, okay. Sure. Oh, my God. It's okay. God. It's okay. Um, it wasn't, you know, I walked out of there a little shocked, obviously shell shocked. 
Um, and, you know, I knew it wasn't my fault, but on the other hand, you know, I, instead of looking at the negativity, you know, I said, God, you know, it could have been worse. You know, I let him do what he wanted to do. And then probably survived because of that, because you absolutely, but a very similar story. And I, I don't want to bogart this, but it's just really weird to me how you and I are parallel now, Kathy. It's just kind of weird to me, not weird in a good way, which yeah. is, you know, bringing things up. But, you know, about five years later, I was, I did not testify against him, but he was caught and he had actually violently abused some women and stuff. I was the one that got away in essence, but he's in jail because other women testified against him. So that's why this just brought this up because yeah, it's kind yeah. of parallel. Sorry about that. Unfortunately, it's not like a unique story, right? That men do this. That's what's unfortunate <laughs> about it. But in this case, you know, 2013 rolled around. So like a decade later, and I had ended a relationship I was in who, with someone who um, was definitely, I'd come to, to really learn was a sociopath, um, to use that term. And I ended that relationship and got out of that relationship. And I, I had always wanted to make a documentary or write an article or something about the women that testified against this guy, just to sort of put on front street that I wanted to change up the whole, uh, you know, victim, the whole victim, um, dogma you know i'm not a victim well what's wrong with being what's wrong with someone being a victim once they've been victimized that's what the word means you've been victimized yeah. see right. so I, I hate this whole thing of of you know she's not a victim yes she was she was victimized but she's a strong woman who got over it and is moving on you know that they both exist so anyway i started to make this documentary i went finding all the women and i started meeting all the women and <clears throat> making a documentary about them but at the same time, what I realized was no one knew a thing about this guy. I thought once I interviewed the detective and the law enforcement behind it, I would learn about his past, you know, like his other things he'd done because he was clearly good at what he was doing. They knew nothing about him. And in fact, everybody was like, if these women hadn't come forward, he probably would have walked right now because we can't get him to talk. There's no, he has no record. We can't, he wouldn't speak. He was very smart, knew the system, mm -hmm. right? So I got really curious and I just started to do a little light research. Like, let me look up places where he used to live, what I can find. Let me see what I can find. I wanted to know if there were cold cases in his wake that matched his MO based on how he had killed Chris Johnson. And I started finding them. And so <clears throat> I started calling these detectives and started talking about the cases with them. Could he possibly be the murderer or uh, responsible for these missing women or these cold cases? And one thing led to another. And along the way, I ended up selling the show to TNT. And the documentary became about me investigating cold cases rather than the women. So it kind of just expanded and went down this, this rabbit hole. And so I made eight episodes of, um, uh, with TNT of my, my investigating these cold rape and murder cases, working with FBI agents and, and the homicide detectives. Every single case moved forward. And I ended up solving a 30-year-old murder case. Wow. No way. Was it him? It was not him. It was not him. It was two wow. other guys. Oh, oh my wow. God. I ended up finding those two guys. So it was so gratifying. Uh, to, to, I went and met all of these victims' families, and I was so driven to, to, to help them to just do what I could. It was, it was kind of like I wasn't even in control of it anymore. I was going down this rabbit hole and I was going to do this. And so we make this wow. show. But this show is not going to be, it's not going to see the light of day on TNT mm. because it was made, we were filming it in 2017 and we have to pull back up and look now. 
Me Too is now at its height. And now we're in the middle of making this. I'm thinking it's going to be a great thing. But there was this pendulum swing, this undercurrent of misogyny in, in this business and in the world, wherever there were powerful men, there was this undercurrent pulling back the other direction. And we see it in, you know, what's been happening in the Donald Trump administration. Um, and what happened while we were making that show in 2017 is it was supposed to be an investigative journalistic documentary show with kind of investigative integrity and TNT about three months into it, we're pushing it to run off the rails and make a reality show about me being a lesbian. They wanted to see me dating. They wanted to, oh. it was oh. so ridiculous. I wouldn't deal. I wouldn't do any of it. I wouldn't do any of it. They kept shutting down production, trying to force our hand. Um, they had, meanwhile, there's more, there's more to it. I mean, this guy that's in prison is calling me all the time. And they're oh, wow. uh, because I started writing him in prison oh. to see if I could get him to talk. This was also part of how I ended up studying psychopathy. I thought if I write this guy in prison and I tell him I was one of the women he tried this with and that I testified against him and that I'm curious about him now. And if I could lead him to believe that I'm interested in the kind of BDSM sex that he's interested in, would his narcissism get in, you know, be his demise and would he actually Tell me about his crimes. What he actually- Man, Nice one, baby. Yeah. You, you're not scared of anything. I was not scared, no, mm -hmm. no. Um, I went down this rabbit hole and once I had a team, you know, a production team behind me, I felt even safer, right, to do this. And I took about three years into writing him letters before I started opening that door, creeping that door open so I could get him to trust me. And this is when we sold the show. When networks knew that I was writing these letters, trying this, this, uh, this trick on him, basically this, this undercover ruse on him. And that I was also investigating these other murders. Everybody we pitched it to wanted it. Um, we went with TNT, which I actually didn't want. I wanted A&E because &E, it was a bunch of women that we talked to, uh. but, but TNT won out because they offered the most money. And I was working with 30 something year old white guys who thought TNT was the best thing in the world. And then all they did was infight with each other the whole time. All the men fought with each other the whole time and kept pushing me in different directions. This guy wanted me to go on a date on camera. This, then they wanted me to be in therapy on camera. None of it was relevant. And it was all about, I wasn't failing. They wanted to make a show about me failing, which really blew my mind. I really thought, look, when we pitched a show that said, I'm going to try to out psychopath a psychopath and get him to admit things to me. And I'm also going to investigate five 30-year-old murders and see what I can do. I did not expect to be successful in either one of them, except to be successful in executing everything I wanted to try. I just wanted to try and see what we could make happen. And then lo and behold, not only did it work and we, I solved a 30-year-old murder, but he actually told me and admitted to me that he killed Christy Johnson and told me how. Verbally, <gasps> when I went to visit him in prison, Andy wrote it to me in a letter. I wow. I, you got it in writing. Got it in writing. So what, is he locked up for life now? No, he ha he's only in prison for 25, uh, for, um, sorry, 25 to life. At 25 years, he gets a parole hearing. So a lot of this is trying to build a dossier. So when I go to the parole hearing, because as a previous victim, though he never touched me, I am on his victim list, I can go to the parole hearing and I can make a statement. So along the way, since he tried to rape and murder me, I have become a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in the assessment of psychopathy. And I will be at that parole hearing 
with a written report of his level of psychopathy and all of the recidivism rates. Wow. Every time he gets a parole hearing, I will be there with Christy Johnson's mother. Christy Johnson was murdered. And the five other women who testified against him, we will never let him get out of prison. Oh, awesome. but this is what it requires. It requires the women who've been previously victimized to continually go back every two years when he gets a parole hearing and make their case again. Um, God. It's such a hard one. So this is, to answer your question that you asked me like an hour ago, this is how I became uh, trained in, in, in assessing psychopathy. So after the show shut down, I actually went and trained with the same, um, it's called Darkstone, the same uh, guys that train FBI profilers in assessing psychopaths. Wow. I Did you ever consider no, go ahead, Mara. I just, I'm just like floored. This is a whole other- uh, Yeah, I know. I was thinking, did you ever consider being a detective? Like, did that change, want you to, did you know what I'm saying? Did I mean, you're just as hot, if not hotter than Mariska Hargitay, for Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it takes. Or, or on um, that one show, the Scottish one, Lips, whatever, there was a detective on that one. You know, uh, I've done enough, th these cases that I worked, the two murder, two of them are murder cases in Pennsylvania. And um, when I, I looked up there, could I get my private investigator license? Uh, I've done all the required work in Pennsylvania and then it's a court hearing to go apply for it. Um, so at some point I will, I will do that, I think, because I, I, I did all the work. I may as well get that license in my hand because investigating is difficult when you're not law enforcement there's no reason people need to talk to you. Right. So you've got also you have the you have the instincts embedded in you because there was something in you that from the get go saved your life and told you not to go. And I think that that's if only people, women especially, would listen more to their instincts. Yes. Um. And and their inner voice, you know, like and so I would think as a detective that would be a really important quality to have as well. Totally. You're, you're right. You know, my dad was a detective. He was a cop. Oh. Detective. And um, he, he passed long before this whole part of my life happened. Um, but when I was young, when I was in my twenties and I was out here, you know, pursuing an acting career and you're, you're always like, Oh, it's not, I gotta do something else. I gotta figure out another career. Right. <laughs> I thought I would be a cop. And my dad was like, no, you're not. He really yeah. talked out of it. He did not, he did not want me in danger out here in LA, you know, becoming a cop. But um, I, I do love it. I do love investigating. So now what I actually can do as part of it is, and it's a service on my website is if, if, you know, a lot of police departments around the world have tons of cold cases like this on their records and they don't have the resources to go back, take that, that crime file out, read the details, see if there's something new that can be done now. Is there more DNA, you know, was there a DNA test done back in the nineties that now we can do again and put it in CODIS. Sometimes there's more steps you can take in a cold case, but what they need are people to sit down with those case files and go through them line by line. And that's what they don't have. They, they have all these fresh new cases, and no time for it. So that's a service that I sell to police departments or families who have like a cold case victim in their family and they want to provide extra assistance to the uh, investigation. Thank you. Hey everybody, thank you for watching Between the Sheets podcast. Um, we're here tonight with our guest, she multifaceted, multidimensional, 
she's freaking amazing. I'm so happy she's here. I thought she'd be just this actress that we talked to, but <laughs> it was just fine. We, I mean, I mean, it's in, it's, that's my business, but um, with Kathy DeBuono, um, anyway, if you want to call in, it's 323-524-2599. We will take callers, 323-524-2599. Um, Cheryl. I know you have stuff to say. Come on, let her rip. (laughs) Well, let me just first say, say, Kathy, thank you for all that you do. Um, So I'm a medium. I'm I'm a medium and I'm a psychic. And I volunteer my time for an organization to help find missing persons. It's called findmegroup.org. And it's where a lot of intuitives or even retired law enforcement come together and we help find people missing, whether it's just a recent missing or even from years ago, like you mentioned. So I just wanted to mention that because I find it very rewarding, you know, even though I'm anonymous, you know, we we come at it from that view uh, where we're all just pitching in, giving our work. But what I liked about reading your website was how you were helping law enforcement giving them different angles on how they can go about solving a cold case or, you know, have you tried this or looked at it that way? So yeah. I'm just, I love that part. Can you talk more about that? Like, how yeah, do you, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, so when you read a case file, um, um, you know, one of the, the case that we worked on in, in Pennsylvania, the one that ended up being solved, the case file was, they did a lot of work. So the case file was really thick. And that means, you know, all the interviews that they did were written up and all the DNA tests that they did were written up. Every piece of evidence that they had was logged in the book. So you can look at it and you can see where is this piece of evidence? Can it be, you know, tested again? And when you're talking about different perspectives a forensic psychology perspective versus um, maybe the beat cops that aren't, you know, deeply trained in forensic psychology, maybe they just have the, the one-on-one stuff. They can, you can read an interview with this perspective and hear things that people say or the way they word things that stand out to me like a red flag um, that make them interesting for some other reason or that make what they were saying seem not true. Um, whereas the cop that interviewed them didn't notice this and you know felt like everything added up and so they eliminated this person. Mm-hmm. So you know, in my report about that case file, I'll say, here were my thoughts about this interview. This is what I found interesting. I would dig deeper here and, and use that kind of a perspective um, okay. to yeah. get more out of, you know, they've already maybe looked under a rock, but look under that rock again, but look this way. Can you give an example of what kind of a, of a slip up, in, you know, or, or what kind of a, of a thing that you see in their speech that makes you go, that, that alerts that red flag? Hmm. Gosh, let me see if I can, I don't want to waste too much time trying to think of something because nothing's, it's kind of like certain words people use, give them away. Mm -hmm. Um, You might even see this in your personal life, you know. Uh, I wish I could come up with a great example right now and I can't, but I am thinking of this one interview with this one guy in, in this one case that I read. He was so defensive and so aggressive with the cop that it made him look suspicious. And they were suspicious of him too, because of this reason. But when I dug deeper into his interview, it was comments that he made in a defensive way that had me ask them to look at him for a whole different murder that was in there, a whole different cold case that was in their files. And we found out he was related to that victim. Amazing. Yeah, and, and I can't remember exactly how he worded something, 
I know this is probably not answering your question very well, but. Is it intuitive? Is it, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, it like, cause I mean, obviously there's certain things because as a psychologist and you, you, you know, you study, you study behavioral patterns. There are certain things that are red flag, possibly red flags for this, but how much of what you do and decisions you make and ways that you travel, like the way your brain thinks that you go with your intuition? A lot, a lot. You know, when you're in flow, it's a word we use a lot these days. People know what it means. I mean, you say it like you're in flow, everything's going right. You're clicked in, you're Zen or whatever. It's kind of like that. It's, it's sort of like um, something trips you up and lets you know you're not in flow anymore. And that's the part of it that's intuitive because that's not evidence you can point at or, 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 or uh, something that you can teach, right? It just, you, you, you feel for it. Or also it's visceral as well, isn't it? I mean, I, I had a date a few weeks ago. It was horrible. At the end of the date, the guy, I just saw evil in this man. I, I did. And viscerally, I, by the time I got home, my blood pressure was like way crazy up. He had done something. He, 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 he had evil in his soul. Yeah. It was horrible. You know, did you see it in his eyes? Yes. I saw really malicious, vindictive, meanness in his smile oh take that take that from out. women we we do have, our brains are equipped with a little bit more of this than than men's brains really i just want to state something um if i write a book and it's going to go into audio i want cara to read it for me <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to read jonathan astley's book he's asked me to do ah he was on the show remember yep self-love ah. But anyway, yeah, viscerally, that's yeah. right. We feel these things. You never watch it. You ever watch a squirrel out at the park? And they're just walking. Squirrel. Around. And all of a sudden, they just go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or my cat does that. Yes, the cats yeah. do it too. There's, there's it, so if you're physiologically break that down, that squirrel didn't have a thought like, "Ooh, something around me." You know, A plus B equals C. I ought to think about this. No, it was just a visceral. That's, that's wired into their nervous system for survival. We have all of that stuff at work too, but we are, you know, as, a, as human beings, as a culture, we've evolved to such a, a place where we tune a lot of it out. We tune out a lot of the instincts that are, and the sensations that our bodies are sending us as information all the time. And that, that crosses yeah. over to trauma therapy too. At the basis of trauma therapy, what it is, is reminding your nervous system, you know, you've heard the word triggered and PTSD is about being triggered. Mm -hmm. and, and, and basically at, at its core, there's a trauma recorded in the physiology. Anytime the physiology sees something that looks similar to that trauma, maybe someone's wearing the same color shirt or they smell the same or, you know, something seems similar, will we'll be triggered. And we are, our bodies respond and our minds respond as though it's back at that same time, like the, like the threat is happening right now. That's by design so that, you know, when we touch a hot stove, we learn. And the next time we see a hot stove, our nervous system knows not to touch it. But in an, in an advanced society, we call it PTSD because it makes people look crazy. It makes people look like, you know, they can't relate, they can't stay, and they can't stay in the moment. They can't stay grounded. They are constantly in fight or flight. So it's about teaching the nervous system how to remind itself that it's safe. So I'm triggered, I'm freaked out. I now have to stay conscious. I have to apply consciousness and try to remind my body sensations to, to get very present to the safety that it's in right now. 
and to, re to get reoriented to the present and to stay safe in the moment. And that starts to teach the physiology yeah. how to tone back down. All right, so I have a question. So we talk about triggers. Everyone, everyone has triggers. It's normal. Uh, it's, so, I mean, some people, obviously, as you stated, it's, it, it's cognizant of what they're, what triggers them. So you can verbalize it. But with some people, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I know when my triggers happen, I know them. I know what my triggers are, but I don't know why I'm triggered by this. Right. You don't know how the trigger developed. No. Yeah. Is that well, what we're coming to see you for? Well, I will say this. Yes. You don't you have to know. It, Kathy. You, don't, you don't have to know why. You, that's really, that's, that's information that we might that be really curious about and really want to know. And then if it's eating at us, then you, then you go find out why. But to heal it, to get past it, you don't need to know why your trigger, how your triggers got there. You just need to know what they are how they work, and then we can work with healing them. Why they got there becomes irrelevant in terms of healing it. Um, mm -hmm. But it does, it could be interesting to know why they got there. It's yeah, I mean, that's the investigative. That's the investigative. It's like, you know, I know certain things trigger me and it's yeah. kind of like, well, why? Why, why, where, where would that? And then that, that is, then this is my head. It's kind of like, why? Then I have to sort of psychoanalyze myself and then get frustrated because I don't remember shit and don't yeah. understand why I'm behaving this way. And then that and then cycle doesn't, that cycle doesn't help you. Right? No, and then I have to assess it going, am I overreactive? Because if, because then I go, oh, here's, I'm a good one. Hypo hypotheticals. I'm the queen of hypotheticals or comparisons. Well, if someone else had this happen to them, would they behave in the same way? If they did, then fuck it, I'm justified. But if they didn't, then then obviously there's something that I have to work on myself to, as you say, get through it, get past it, heal it. Right. But is is my response, is my reaction appropriate? Is the question. Is correct. it valid and appropriate? Yeah. That's a good question to ask. You know, it's a good question to 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 explore when you're trying to understand your triggers. Well, and that's the thing. It's kind of like you know, self love, self healing, you know, self care. You know, and some people, you know, they can read the books and they can do do all of this stuff, which I have, and I do not diminish the importance of it. Trust me, I've read. I'm you know, I'm I'm very on top of it. In between, you know, reading books about who killed who and how and how why they did it and where the body parts are buried, very fascinating. But it's it to me, and again, maybe this is a roadblock, but it's like, you know, until, I mean, I have, I would love to find out just, I mean, I, I do, I try and work on it, try to find out what the root is, because I think if I understand what the root is, it'll help me. Well, and for many people, that's true. For many people, that's true. It, it, it does become, does the need to know, eat at me, and will it help me? Then for many people, it's true. But in general, um, we can treat we can treat trauma without having to know exactly how it got there, and I say trauma now. Everybody wants to know what trauma is, what what rises to the level of trauma. I I like to think about it on a spectrum. So you know, not everything is traumatic, but it works the same way in terms of the physiology, and not everything that would traumatize me would traumatize somebody else because the trauma is subjective. Absolutely subjective. Some things would traumatize everybody, right? Because it would be, it, the, the, the definition of trauma is anything that overwhelms the being's nervous system's ability to cope in the moment. 
anything that overwhelms that in the moment. So if I'm a race car driver and I'm used to zipping around a track at, you know, hundred miles an hour and I'm used to crashing into walls and I get into a fender bender, I probably, my nervous system won't rise to the, to the level of fight or flight that my passengers might, who's not used to that. Yeah. So it is about, you know, you can, or your physiology and what pathways are trained in there as well too. So it's different for everybody. Very cool. So um, believe it or not, I told you to go fast. It's eight o'clock. We still have half an hour, but um, we can go back and forth. But um, how did you and Jenny meet? I'm curious. Jenny, I remember, I think. Okay. And we were at Suzanne Westenhofer's house for Thanksgiving. Probably. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh -huh. I think you're Is right. she a lesbian? Yes. Just yes. We don't, we don't dine with anyone who isn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> It, and I met you and Sheila there, I think. Yeah, or, I think you are correct, yes. Yeah, and we've been so, ever since. I just was curious. Um, all right, so I'm the other night, you know, obviously we're talking about now, we're transitioning in my typical fashion. In your ADHD um, way. About her acting core, her acting. Um, I, you know, I, you know, look, the staple of lesbian films for me in my generation, I'm 57. I, it was Bound, Desert Hearts, and The Hunt. Claire of the Moon. And Claire of the Moon. Those <laughs> were the big four that we had to watch. Yeah. And then you were initiated into, oh my God, I think I'm a lesbian. This is right. your <laughs> go girl CD and you're ready to go. Let's hit the bars, you know, buy some Melissa Etheridge, you know. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a card carrying lesbian now. I just won't wear flannel. Um, but other than that, um, you know, but the other night, many, many years later, but the other night I was over at a friend's house and her girlfriend came into town and we were just chit-chatting, blah, 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 blah. And we started talking about, you know, lesbian coming of age movies or coming out movies or whatever you want to call them. And the girlfriend said to me, did you ever see a perfect ending? And I said, no, I have not seen it. I know it's a Nicole Kahn film, um, but I have not seen it. It's the best one ever. I oh. said, really? Okay, all right. I think I had my fill of lesbian movies, but yeah, and I'm like, but it was getting late. And I said, I'm gonna go home and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Um, not, and then <laughs> the next day, she called, the girlfriend actually called me and said, why don't you come over? We'll watch the movie. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get it done and over with, check. Well, much to my surprise, we're sitting there and all of a sudden, I already know that I have the biggest crush on the straight woman that's a blonde. Um, she's just hot. I just was like automatically glued going, oh my God, that's my type. And she's 60 something now. Oh my God, she's beautiful. You know, so immediately I was caught in. And then they got to this one scene and I'm looking and I, there are a few people in the movie, obviously John Hurt, I worked with. I mean, I know God rest his soul, um, but I mean, you know, but I'm like, oh, I recognize some of these people. And then all of a sudden on the screen, there's a flash. And I see, I'm like, holy shit, that's Kathy DeBuono. 
in her in, in like the biggest butch role but very attractive may i add um oh. that i've ever that i i'm like oh my god and i'm like so excited i'm like i know her she's gonna be on the show next friday <laughs> as i'm there i think it was late i'm like texting kathy it must have been like 10 11 o'clock at night oh my god i'm watching this movie and you're in it this is the coolest thing and she didn't respond until <laughs> the next day because she was on deadline but it was um but it is a really actually good movie so anyone who hasn't seen it um i can't believe it it's a good looking they're good looking women on it with i'm <laughs> sure they're all picked with perfect um with perfect precision what star trek episodes are you on kath I'm, I'm in um my main job on that on star trek i was hired because i was terry farrell's double yeah but you were in some right were you in a couple i, I was in men i was in a lot of them i was in a lot of them but the one that you if you wanted to go watch one where you see me speak and i'm i'm playing a human um <laughs> the episode is called dogs of war and it's in the very last season of deep space okay. Nine. did but, you play did you play aliens as well I did. I played Klingon. Klingon I played Breen. When the Breen was murdered, that was me. I played a Vulcan baseball player when they went in the hollow suite. I played, uh, it was such a fun job. God, what a fun job. Oh, wow. sorry, sweet. I was going to say you were someone standing and then yeah. they use you as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Was, nice. Harry Farrell's standing and, and her photo doubles, you know, the leopard spots. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She couldn't shoot anything outside. Um, she had a skin thing. So anytime we shot outside, it was me. And they'd only shoot, they could shoot this much of my face and you'd still not know. Oh, wow. wow. Camera really, really, I was a good double for her. So it was so much fun. I was in my <laughs> 20s. I would have kept that job forever. You get to go to work and just play in space all day. Yeah. Was, it, was it filmed at Paramount? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, being on the Star Trek, um, there's tons of Trekkies. I mean, do they, do you have all this like fans and people like, are you like in that thing? Yes. You know, um, I, okay. So all the aliens and stuff, you may or may not be able to tell who's who, but most of the time you can't tell who's who, but there was one character I played that was recurring. Um, the one that I spoke in dogs of war, um, who was a Dabo girl and, and the Dabo girls looked like Las Vegas showgirls. They looked like humans. And so you could tell who the actor was and, it was in Quark's bar and I was Quark's main girl. So for many episodes, and what was funny about that is I'm six feet tall and they gave me heels to wear that were like this. So I was like six feet. <laughs> wow. And Quark is a short little main character. So for, for many episodes, you'll just see me draped on Quark and I won't be, you know, I won't, don't even say a word. Um, but that was the Dabo girl character. And it was like all red lace. And um, that was, yeah, that was really fun. Did I answer, did I? Yeah, or was there a question that I? So that was good. I so have one, another question. Yes, I uh, would, um, I know that you had uh, you were an entertainer at the El Beach Festival in Germany. Oh, yeah, what? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I've I've been down to Eros to the Sappho Festival and covered that in Greece and, of course, Dinah and all these other festivals. What is the El Beach Festival? What did y'all do? What did yeah. you particularly do? You know, I I I would say that I I would say that I was more of a host. Um, it was a live event and I would describe El Beach as like a music festival, but it was their lesbian. It was their, it was their Dinah basically, but it was okay. more a festival where they had a, they had a big tent and, um, a big stage and like different bands would play. And I was there, I was, a, I was like their celebrity guest. And so they showed one of my movies one night and I did a Q and A afterwards, but 
I would be on the main stage for the bands and I would, you know, dress up in a tux or something fun and, and introduce the bands. And, um, and I didn't speak any German. So, you know, they got a kick out of that at my, you know, couple of laughs at my expense and stuff, but that was, that was what it was. It was really like fun. a week, like a whole weekend. I mean, like how many yeah. women it was a weekend. Say? I don't know a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like thousands. Interesting. I, yeah. I don't know. Did they not expect to have it back? It's mostly because of coronavirus or do you I know? don't know. I know they were doing it every year, but I only went the, the one time. Ah. Um, yeah, I was only there the, the one time. I was only their host the, the one year. But that was a really, it was a really fun time. I know what you asked me, Gayanne. You asked me if there were Trekkies. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. So they know the Dabo girl. And once I had, once I got a public address on my website for an office that I had, my private practice office, they started finding that every time I go to my private practice office, there's two or three envelopes where people will send me the playing cards of uh -huh. the Star Trek game, the pictures of the Dabo girl or the Klingon that I'm playing. And they'll have me sign it and send it back. And it blows me away how committed to the show these people are. Totally. And totally. that know my name or how to find me. I mean, tiny character I played, tiny. It doesn't but matter. Trekkies, those Trekkies are serious. They are really serious about the show. Yes, they are. So um, out of all the roles you've played in your career, is there one that you particularly enjoyed doing and were for and liked a lot and and we're glad that you actually did oh i really loved doing out at the wedding nothing there was nothing not fun and beautiful about that and i those women are still my friends and that character i loved that character because she wasn't you know it was the first gay character that i read in a script that wasn't coming out that was didn't have some issue with being gay it was just like the next, it was the next chapter. She just happened to be this gay person in this movie. And I, I loved that. Um, there was, I loved doing, I loved, I loved doing um, fight scenes, anything where I got to do a fight scene. Well, of I, course, you're six foot tall. I mean, really? <laughs> I'm stunts and some stuff. That, and that, you mean, that, you mean swashbuck thing or what, what kind of fight are we fight. talking? That like, sort of fight. Like a fight scene, like um, in Crazy Bitches, um, like I, I, I have a fight. Like I just jump on a guy and we're just beating each other up, like a fight. There's a little short that um, someone did called um, Bounty, where I was a bounty hunter, it was just a short. But the scene that we did in an alley where I just get to kick this guy's ass was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, but do you have to like stop when you get right up to him? So you're, you know, obviously you're not touching him. So doesn't that kind of... No, you don't stop. You full, you do full motions, but you're not. You're so the where the camera is is how the trick works. So oh. I don't stop, but like if your face is here, I'm gonna punch right past you. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna go. Ooh. Okay. And, and where the camera is makes it work or not work. Yeah, the fight scenes are like a dance. To be honest, it's choreographed. Yeah, choreographed. Yeah, yeah. So if there was a role that you want to do. Mm. or that, that even that isn't written what would your perfect role be i would love before i'm an old lady because i'm kind of old for this now i would love to do it just a full-on action action packed movie just running and fighting and jumping and like laura croft or something glamorous yeah, like that, that would be so much fun and also i uh, i've always wanted to do like a buddy road trip 
kind of movie. Like a like fun a Thelma and Louise sort of thing? Yes, like a Thelma and Louise or maybe even something like a, something sillier, like a comedy, a little more silly. But just that buddy road trip, that whole bonding experience. Things were, shows where women bond have mm-hmm. been my draw my whole life before I could even put it into words. The Golden Girls, Nine to Five, um, and Louise. These are the movies I go to over and over and over again. And I realize what it is, is a bunch of women in the end coming together Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, all for one, one for all. First Wives Club. I love that movie. (laughs) I love these films. These, these are my, I would love to do any amount of those. Grace and Frankie, you don't have to be young. You can do Grace it. Grace and Frankie, yes. I, lo- I love this. I love this. So good. Um, I'm actually shooting a rom a road trip rom-com in January with uh, Constance Brenneman, who's been in some of Marina Rice Bader's movies. Um, Jan miller Coran, who wrote Snapshots and, and did that film. Um, hmm. She wrote this one. It's called Along Came Wanda. And it's a road, it's a road trip comedy romantic comedy and i'm so you got your wish then playing wanda yeah now jan actually now i go back to remembering jan had a play that was going to open in la that's right you guys all you think you and jan and someone else from the show were going to be on the show but then coronavirus hit Mm -hmm. and i think and then everything got all imploded yeah, I hadn't done a play like a like a theater production in 26 years, and I think I was still just a student at the academy when I did it. Um, and Jan offered me this role, and I was like, "Oh my god, can I remember 76 pages of dialogue?" Oh my god! You shoot a snippet, you do it, you forget your line, you do it again, you know. But um, I really appreciated being offered the challenge, and and I loved the character, I loved the arc, I loved the story, I loved the people I was working with. We were into two weeks of full-time rehearsal. All the actors were just off book and we shut down the next day. Oh, I remember that. We're going to get that play up. We're going to do that play. Um, Jan, that, that really is a passion project for her. And so when we can, that will, that play will go back up. What does your day look like right now? Do you have a lot of auditions? Do you get a lot of calls for voiceovers or are you doing psychotherapy? What does a day look like during the coronavirus? You know, I haven't pursued the acting career in 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 a, in a long in years because I understand my relationship to my acting career is that I love to do it and I do it when I can do it, when I get the chance to do it, and I stay tuned into it and I have a relationship to it, but it's not. I don't treat it like a career, like a business, like where I'm auditioning all the time, or it's kind of something that's a part of my world. And, you know, somebody calls me and asks me to be a part of something. Um, it just sort of evolved that way because I make my money from psychotherapy. You know, indie film is great, but we don't get rich from indie film. We don't make enough money on indie film to survive. Um, you make enough money on indie films so that the producer doesn't feel bad that they made you go to work. That's the kind of money you make. <laughs> but so you're obviously, doing, you're doing your psychotherapy on Zooms, a phone call yeah, or what? Yeah, Zoom, I'm doing it on Zoom. Um, I really love working in person. You know, I don't know if I said this, but for 10 hours a week, I do therapy with students at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts here in Los Angeles. Oh. This is one of my, these are my favorite these are my favorite clients. I love mm. therapy with actors and artists and musicians. I love, love, love it. All of the things that apply for trauma therapy are the same things that apply for blocks for an actor or f- 
finding that emotion or, you know, how to connect to another actor when, you know, you got to do a love scene and you'd really rather just kick this person in the face, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It all goes together. And so I work with them, I work with them for 10 hours a week. And over the summer, it was like nothing going on. And now they're doing class on Zoom. They're actually doing acting classes on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And once they get into their semesters, my calendar always fills up with them because you'll remember acting school is like being ripped open. It's like being peeled like an onion. Mm-hmm. And they come in and they're like, what's happening to me? And so, you know, I love it. And I love there's the Italians that are used to just vomiting everything that you're in acting is going, <laughs> yeah, tell me something I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I haven't cracked open already. And, and it is true. It's really interesting because I think, you know, in my work, in my field, I, I work with actors. I, I work with them daily. And there's the type of actors that are very sort of receptive and open and sure, whatever, and emotional and vulnerable and don't have any. And then you have the ones that are really so tightly wound that when in real life, just not acting, but then when they sort of take on the persona of the character they they really embody it so i don't know what's a better actor is it someone that sort of is like tightly wound and then they're giving something to work with and then coming deep down and sort of creating that or is it the one that throws everything out there that sort of adapts to the character versus creating the character i think i think the answer is going to be whatever works to get that individual to where they gotta go. It's just a different path for a different person. Cause acting's hard. I mean, everyone always thinks that, you know, oh yeah, you know, they do hair, makeup, wardrobe, you get to memorize some pages. Somebody tells you where to stand. Somebody tells you what to do, but you know, the best, the best actors really, and it is, you have to go with from it, from within and really crack yourself you open. Find something true or you're just yeah. faking it. You just have to find something true or you're just faking it. And nobody wants to watch someone faking it. And everybody knows when they're watching someone faking it versus when you're watching someone who's created at least some spark of something real while they were delivering those lines. Best and, actress you like? I'm sorry? Who's your favorite actress, actor? Sarah Paulson is up there. Oh, she's good. Yeah. I just saw a movie today on Netflix. It's called Randon, Meryl, uh, uh, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Jessica well, I'm going to have to say, you know, the, I mean, goodness, I, they're all fabulous, but Meryl, of course. Of course. You could, I mean, what an extraordinary woman. I think I'd have to say Jessica Lang is. Oh. Yeah. I've worked with Jessica Lang. I've, I've worked with a lot, but she, her, and another one who I found amazing to, to see her in action um, is Helen Mirren. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So many, there's so many that are just like- yeah. There's just so many. Jodie Foster. Jodie oh, Foster. Jody Foster. Oh, yeah. yeah, she's great. It's fabulous. Have you guys seen um, the series called Feud? Starring oh. Susan Sarandon. Oh my God, yes, about- Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh so my Susan God. Brandon is playing Betty Davis and yes. Justin Lang is playing Joan Crawford. Oh, and if you really? haven't seen it, no, I run and watch it. Oh it my is gosh. so good. It is amazing. Yeah, such fun. So Jenny, you're awfully quiet today. I, I was just waiting my turn patiently. <laughs> <laughs> you guys um, 
you know what? I, I, um, I think Cher is a actress, but. Oh, Cher's uh, a great actor. Actually, she is. She would do more acting. Yeah. Yes. More acting, less surgery. This <laughs> Phyllis. She's not doing the surgery. <laughs> where's your where's your hair doll, Jenny? Um, <laughs> you get it? I know it's good. Get it, get it. I love that. That thing is so weird. Um, <laughs> as I get as I'm getting older now, I'm really looking forward to getting to do some character stuff. The Cher doll. Oh, I think the Cher doll. Come on, let's see her. Oh, she's so good. I love her. <laughs> she's missing her shoes. I don't know how that stain got there, but <laughs> seen better days. She has no eyelashes on her right eye. Yeah. <laughs> can I bring my dollies next week? Yes. Sure. <laughs> Two weeks, absolutely. You can bring your dollies. Um, what was I going to say? My God, this is where I get, unfo I'm not focused right now for a minute. Um, your, your documentary, what's the name of it? Well, the series that we made with TNT ended up being called Serial Predator. Um, that documentary right now is being held hostage by one of the one of my production partners. It's a long story, but I have a ton of footage that I shot along the way before I partnered with them, about three years worth. When I was just starting and I was making it about these women. And I think, you know, over all these years, those women and I have gotten very close. I'm very close with Christy's mom. All of us are devastated about what happened and we're, we're left feeling like here we are trying to make this documentary about voices, giving the giving voice to this story and it was stolen from us. Like it was stolen from me basically along the way. Oh. They were like, make a reality show. Let's, let's, you know, it was taken from me. Yeah, they wanted they to- They violated it. They really did. And so we're all feeling unsettled. I think me especially is feeling unsettled. I feel like I have to tell the story in order to finish it, put it behind me. I'm gonna take my own footage I'm gonna dig in, I'm going to make the documentary I originally was gonna make about these women. Now the story of trying to make a, a series of TNT will be a part of that, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. part of that. And then next to that, ancillary to that, myself and all of the women who testified against this guy, as well as Christy's mother, are going to do a podcast together and oh, talk wonderful. about the whole thing. Yeah. That's so My heart cool. goes out okay. to Christy's mother. Yeah, right? Yeah. Can you even imagine? No. She's, she's incredibly strong. I've learned a lot from her. And where does she, and do they live on the East Coast or here in California? No, Christy's mom lives here in uh, Santa Cruz on the West Coast. And the other women are all here in California. Okay. So what, um, so what besides all of this, um, do you have any secret projects or anything else that you're working on that you'd like to sort of share or tease the audience with? Um, just along came Wanda is the, is the, you know, rom-com we're shooting in January. You can keep an eye out for that. And where are you guys going to shoot? Yeah. There's two or three locations here uh, in LA. One is at a ranch and, um, one is at some other fancy spa type place. I don't know. I saw the addresses from the production team, but, um, and God, the work they're doing to, to be able to do this during COVID, you know, they're really yeah. Yeah. super seriously. Um, so there's so there's that, and really with the documentary, I've been talking about it since 2013, and I need to finish it. I need to get to the other side of it. I need to create something that tells the story that I can share with the world and with all the wonderful 
you know, supporters who've been waiting for it. And, um, and for these women whose story I was trying to tell for them, I need to, I need to do it for me and to, to get to the other side of it. Yeah. Maybe um, it was meant for you to do it, you know, on your own without. It, it feels like it, it feels like, and it does, I've said many times, you know, it's not going to let, it's not going to let me move on until I finish it. Yeah. yeah. So Cheryl, what do you think as a psychic? Is she going to finish it the way she wants to? Oh yeah. And you know what? Well, what I was feeling, Cara, uh, thank you for asking, is that uh, it's really going to really grow in conversation is what I felt. I felt once you do complete it, it really does create this broader, you know, continuation of bringing more women or men, you know, out and talking about this. Because yeah. that's really what you want to do is bring light to it and bring awareness to it. And that's what I'm feeling is going to happen. So that's, mm, right. that's the best thing we, we can want. We want to change the culture around women who've been raped or sexually assaulted. We want to change the culture to join us. You're not alone. You're not a victim. You get to cry. You get to be pissed off. You get to have all the victim behavior that we now punish people for because it's valid. You've been victimized and then you're going to be supported and we're going to be a fucking posse is what we're going to be. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Women, we can only bond together. I mean, the thing is women need to continue to bond together. I mean, we do, right. we all have similar stories, you know, and, you know, again, you know, in a, in a time, in, in a time, and hopefully the time will, I know the time will be better with the Biden Harris win. Um, just saying, um, but you know, I think a lot of times women are set up in the workplace or in life to sort of compete against each other. And I think, you know, if we, we're not competing against each other, we should be uplifting and supporting each other. And I think the whole world should do that in general, but even as a subcosm of us as women, you know, we really need to support each other. We all have strengths. We all have I won't say weaknesses, but, you know, some of our, you know, let's all celebrate each other's strengths instead of knocking each other down. And I think we need to like realize too, that there's enough of whatever it is you're doing or being or wanting to pursue, there's enough out there for everybody, you know? And I think women are sort of taught that you, there's the woman spot we've got. This is, this is the field this is the thing that we're doing. And then we've got the woman that does it. And so like the, all you guys compete for the woman that does it, you know, and it's. Well, that's the beautiful thing. Like with Hillary, you know, she kind of took that step to be, she ran for president. Okay. That hadn't been done. And now we have a, by a woman and a woman of color at that, which even wow. to say that it sh is stupid to even say <laughs> we have a woman of color now. I mean, we're women and we're always will be women. And it doesn't matter what shape, color, whatever we take. It should really be the ideology and philosophy of supporting each other and carrying each other through this. Because the men are not, you know? And the more we go in that submissive role and allowing, this is my opinion only, I'm not a therapist, but it's like allowing that to continue, we will never be able to move forward. And obviously women are smarter than men and can deal with things better than men. So we need to support each other to move forward with each other. Go ahead. You're the, you're the psychotherapist, Kathy, go. I, all well said, all well said. I think that, you know, that make, I can't argue with any of that. That makes a lot of sense. I think I would love to see education and culture change in a bigger way. 
Absolutely. Education in this country is the problem. It's how we ended up with 70 million people choosing Trump because education is where we also teach all of our belief systems because it creates an entire culture of how those students treat each other and then they grow up to be adults and that's how they treat each other. And um, so whether it comes to, to racism or, or consent and, or treating women as equals, it's all about, you know, how did, how, how did our country get here where only about 5 million more people voted for a guy who's interested in humanity? Yeah. How did we get here? I wanted to see a much bigger landslide than yeah. that. And I definitely think it's education. I think better conversations, deeper conversations, inclusive conversations, the right conversations need to be happening while people are growing up. Yep. But and that's the problem. I think a lot of it has to do with like, I truly believe like the family environment you, you were raised in. I mean, you know, look, I'm Italian. You know, there wasn't anything that was secret in my family, you know, and there was always communication and always an openness and, 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 and uh, whether it was a verbal display of affection or a physical, you know, and I've been meeting people lately that, you know, they're like, why do you tell me you love me so much? Why do you tell everybody you love me? It diminishes. And I'm thinking, well, that's because of your background. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you know, or, or why you touch me so much? Why do you want to hug me so much? But I think, you know, obviously I, I know that person and a few other people, they didn't grow up around that environment. So what I'm doing is like off-putting to them, but yeah. instead of people looking at it as off-putting and a negative, twist it to the positive. It's not like maybe I'm not the one with the issue and the problem. Maybe about compassion, love, kindness, openness. Maybe that's the way to be, you know? And maybe how you are maybe isn't. So what's holding, I'm sounding like a therapist now. What's holding you back <laughs> from letting go to, to be, well, it's okay to, to express love to someone. It takes it's time to get comfortable with it though. I mean, I, when I first met, our group of friends, Guyane and my group of friends, like last 10 years or so, there was a lot of I love yous and a lot of long hugs. And I found it quite difficult. And it took me a long time to relax into it and actually join in and then really love it. Because it is that programming. It is. It's background programming. So I just tell people, you know what? If, you know, tell people you love them. Okay, if they think you're, just make sure you, sometimes you preface you're not into them because in the lesbian thing, it's all just <laughs> the word. Um, but, I mean, but just, you know, you just, just, you know, try, you know, if you don't want to do love, love doesn't necessarily mean a hug. It doesn't necessarily mean a kiss on the cheek. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to say, I love you. Sometimes love is actions. I you know, I, my, one of my favorite phrases is love is a verb. Yep. Wow. Love hmm. is a verb. Well, I just want to thank everybody. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you continue. Good. I was going to say that popped out of my mouth once when I was having a fight with a girlfriend many, many years ago who we were in a cycle of some kind, but she would always say, I love you. I love you. And I finally was just like, I'm sick of hearing it. Right. You know, and I just said to her, you know what? Love is a verb. And I was like, oh, that was profound. <laughs> I'm keeping that one. <laughs> I mean, and, and I know we have to run now, but you know, it's everyone says, you know, actions speak louder than words you know and i've i've been screwed over many times because i always think 
actions have actions and words should match. That's I don't. Yep, I think it should match. And most of the women I'm meeting, it doesn't match. So I'm captivated by the words more than the action because yes, I'm a doer, but I sort of and I've stopped this. It's kind of like if I say something, I mean it. I mean it. And so I, I, I sort of jump with that someone else does too, but it's not. So anyway, love is a verb. Remember that, take that away. If anything, um, with Kathy's huge dossier and, and amazing things that she's done um, to making a difference, you know, to some people's lives and, you know, hopefully others. Um, I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you, what you do daily. Um, I think, I think you're wonderful. I really do. And I think you're, you're just, um, it's fascinating to get to know this side of you. So thank you for coming and sharing um, everything that you have today. Um, Cause yeah, you know, we could have been funny and we could have been fluffy, but um, I think what you had to say me makes a difference um, in people's lives. So thank you. Thanks for having me. This was really, really great to just come be, be able to sit here with a bunch of cool women and talk tonight instead of being- Oh, it's such fun. Yeah. <laughs> so Kathy, where can people like for the business part of it, um, where can people find you? Are you still accepting clients or, or what's mm -hmm. all that information? So, so kathydebono.com. And um, if you can see my name on the screen, it's so just kathydebono.com. That's where uh, my, that's my practice website. You can find my email there and my phone number there. Um, you can also send me Facebook, see me on Facebook messages. I'm Kathy Lynn DeBono on Facebook, or I'm just Kathy DeBono on Twitter. Um, you know, if you want to just stay connected, but yeah, if you want to, or if you're interested in therapy or, you know, I specialize in trauma, but that's not all I do. I have a lot of experience with a lot of things. And if you're interested in any of the forensic services, I do personality assessments. I do psychopathy assessments. If that's something in your world that you need, or um, if you have a cold case in your world that you Need someone to help push it along. I do that too. Um, and that's, that's about it. Have you ever been on any TV show sort of as like an expert person or, uh, uh, you know, like when they do these investigative shows, have you ever like done any of that stuff? No. You no, should. I'm... Just saying. Oh, yeah. um, just saying, because just saying, we'll talk. <laughs> if you're going to show me, you're going to teach me how to shoot my gun. Um, so we yeah. can talk. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I, everyone, thank you for listening. I'm going to go around the room really quick before I sign off. I want to thank Tony for starting the show, first of all, and Christian for ending it. But uh, Mara? Um, okay. So <laughs> like, okay, here we go. You can find me at marashaneart.com for that's where I do my custom wearable art. And then on Facebook, I'm just Mara Shane. That's it. <laughs> Jenny um you can find me on facebook if you go to jenny mcnulty fan just like you see it right there uh one word jenny mcnulty fan on facebook that's where my show airs monday wednesday friday at one thank you and valerie milano uh the hollywood times dot today is the website that i write on and that i that i manage and also you can find me on facebook and uh and here, whenever Dan <laughs> wants me. <laughs> Cheryl Murphy. 
You can always find me. Um, you can connect with me through my website, mediumcheryl.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram at Medium Cheryl. So I am doing a fundraiser next month. I'm doing some readings to help raise money for uh, just, you know, suicide prevention, just to let you know, we know that the numbers are up. So really it's for a great cause. So check out my website, check out my upcoming events. And Cara Noble. Ah, just around Cara Noble. <laughs> but I did want to say, because we talked about it earlier that you were writing to somebody in prison. I write to two men in prison um, and one of them's on death row in Florida, 30, over 30 years he's been on death row. Um, and I found him through a company called Human Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S. Mm. And some of these gentlemen, whatever they did, I don't even know, I don't care. They're on death row, they've been there 30 years and they have no one. So I think it's a lovely thing to do for Christmas. Get yourself a death row prisoner to write to. Oh, yes. <laughs> Human Rights. Oh, God, help us. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For another you, again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Target. It's just, the, my target will be two breasts. Um, <laughs> Did you just you have so a colonoscopy or what? No. <laughs> can, I ask, can I ask one question before we run? Yeah. Cheryl, it's for you. What's While that? we were talking about all of this, did Christy Johnson make herself known to you at all? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, you know, I didn't even, I didn't, I'm sure she was here. I didn't really sense her energy. I, I think I was connecting more to her mom really yeah. for today, but did you feel her? Probably. I was curious because at times I do feel her really strong. Yeah. Uh, and when I was getting to know her mom, um, I obviously never met Christy. And, and when I was getting to know her mom, I started to feel more and more comfortable. I didn't want to say things like, oh, I feel your daughter around me because it sounds yeah. bullshitty, right? <laughs> but I said to her, sometimes when I'm working on this, I feel like I can feel Christy sitting on my sofa and I sat in the position that she, I felt her sitting in. I said, but when I look at her, I'm not, I see her in my mind's eye. I don't see her in the room. She's got a cigarette. And I never would have, pegged her as a smoker for some reason I just wouldn't have put the images together and so I said this to her mom and 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 her mom um welled up with tears a little bit and then and then said to me well yeah Christy did smoke oh wow I was oh, like, wow she is smoking on my couch oh she's that. helping you for sure she's helping you oh. and supporting uh -huh. you and encouraging you yeah. oh that's beautiful really does that, that help with the cold case too what's that where is it those gut feelings that dreams and things that were your cold case that you solved or is it more just evidence-based on that? That was, that was evidence. That was evidence-based. Yeah. Yeah. But I would feel things when I was studying a case, I would feel my body. This is what I do with clients as well. I can feel sensations in my body and I would feel sometimes the, some of the women that were strangled and I could, I could feel it to the point of, I would vomit because it was making me gag. You wow. need your own show. God. Just saying. Anyone out there, let's hook her up. Um, <laughs> just saying. Um, but thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad that was a beautiful way to sort of end the show. So I'm glad you sort of reverse tracked it, Kathy. Thank you. Um, thank you, everyone out there watching the show. Um, we are the sum of all parts, and you're part of us. So thank you for joining us in the conversation. Thank you for watching and joining us at the table. Um, we're on, as I told you, the first and third Friday of every month, 7 p.m. Pacific on UBN Go, otherwise known as United Broadcasting Network. I will share this show on the YouTube channel as well as on all of Facebook. So please share it. Please enjoy it. Please tell your friends. The next show 
first of all, next month is my birthday month. I don't only celebrate a day. Um, <laughs> it's my birthday month. So the first one up um, is going to be December 3rd, I think it is. And that, oh, sorry, Friday, December 4th, we have, if she isn't, um, if she's not going to cancel, Dawn LaFrida. She is an entrepreneur. She started out working at the bottom rung of a Denny's, and now she has over 35 franchises. Um, so I think that's really important for, she's a woman. Uh, yes, she's gay. Um, she have ADHD. Yeah, she has to. Um, absolutely. Uh, we're going we're to find that out. Um, Jenny, <laughs> remind me. Um, no. <laughs> to add the but I'll write it on my whiteboard. Hold whiteboard. on. Yeah. <laughs> I will find it two days later. Um, what was that question? Um, but I think, again, it's another success story and not a nepotism story of a woman, you know, having a dream, having a goal, following pursuit and becoming very successful. So uh, as an entrepreneur, so I, I personally would like to hear, you know, her story and her insight and her female empowerment stuff. So also um, on the 18th, which is the third Friday of December, um, as Cara put it, we're going to do a Christmas sing-along. I, I haven't told her we're doing that yet, but we will. Um, we will have um, iconic singer Thelma Houston on. Isn't <laughs> that fabulous? So Thelma will be joining us. She, um, she has some new stuff. One of my uh, favorite songs ever. Don't leave me this way. That's right. Okay. <laughs> That's right. I think the new version remix should be "Don't leave me this way, comma fucker." Da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. Um, but um, anyway, so that's how we're going to end the show. Um, my birthday is December twenty seventh, so I'll be a year older. But because it's COVID, I'm still going to be fifty six. <laughs> um, and I've got some some stuff you know bubbling under in the new year. Um, I think you'll all be excited, the viewers and and my panel and. You know, I try and mix it up, but, um, but again, thank you all. Thank you again, Kathy. Thank you, Cara, Jenny, Valerie, Cheryl, Mara, Tony, Christian. I, I can't, I mean, you know, it wouldn't be the same doing it without all of you. So um, I'm going to say it and I don't fucking care. I love you guys. You I, know love you I love you too. <laughs> um, so thank you again, everyone for watching. Please share, please. It's going to be on the audio portion. It's going to be on iTunes and all those other ones. And I'm probably the worst promoter ever, but I'm a publicist by trade. So go figure. Um, but in any event, thank you all. Be safe. Be well. We have a mandatory, at least in California, a mandatory quarantine again after what is it? 10 o'clock to 5 a.m. 10 p.m. 10 p.m. You know, look, I, I know your head, but I have to say it, um, you know, wear the mask, keep safe distancing, you know, if not keep yourself safe, you know, keep, you know, even if you don't give a fuck and you have no empathy and a sociopath, a psychopath about others, <laughs> do it for yourself, you know, do it for yourself. Oh, that is so wrong, but okay. Okay. <laughs> well, some people are like, fuck it. You know, I, I don't want to wear the mask, but it's like, you know, then, you know, usually those people are really self-absorbed, egoist, narcissistic tendency people. So they don't give Sorry, a shit about anybody but themselves. I agree with that. I'm not talking about you. I'm okay. talking about others, others. Um, Cause you and I, we go back and forth, but it doesn't matter. Be who you are, but just be safe out there. Whatever your, your considered safeness is, be safe out there. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I can't tell you what the fuck to do because no one ever tells me what the fuck to do anyway. So thank you again. Good night. Be safe. Be well. And as always, as I sign off, we'll see you in two weeks. Namaste, everybody. Namaste. Christian. Thank <laughs> you.